Welcome to Between the Lines, a show exploring the biggest NFL line moves by the books that take the biggest bets right here on the Props and Hops podcast family, part of the Hammer Betting Network. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by the star of the show, pro better Fabian Summer, a.k.a. Suma, also our producer, Jacob, doing great work behind the scenes. And Suma, first things first, it was a close call last week with our Chargers bet. If they had won the game, I would be joining you with a 9.30-ish a.m. Pacific time beer. Um, Maybe a little bit fortunate I can stay sober as I get my Wednesday workday started out here in L.A. But man, that was a close call. And I see that you have still come prepared with some form of the hops for this recording. Uh, Oh, yeah. Let me grab it. It's a German beer from Duisburg. It's a Pilsner, Koenig Pilsner, like this. Um, It's a little bit strong. I would I would probably say it's so it's not not really a mild beer, so to speak. So it's com- a completely different beer uh, from like IPAs and stuff like that. A strong pilsner that sounds a little bit interesting. Usually pilsners are a little more on the crushable side, but I know in the U.S. we don't always do it properly. So if you're going for a pilsner, you're in the right spot in the world for that. And Jacob, while the Chargers didn't win outright, you had them to cover the spread, if I recall correctly. So at least they did come through for you and the purposes of your week two portfolio. Yeah, that game was just nuts. I remember Herbert couldn't even walk two yards to get a first down because of uh, his injury. And then the next play, he flung it 40 yards inside, I think 10 yards. And then the Chargers on fourth down, when they didn't even really need a touchdown, they could have gone for a field goal end up with yeah, the seven yeah, yeah, to get yeah. the cover that that's that's like one of my lucky wins that when I get a bad beat I'll look back okay I had that lucky win so it balances out yeah well said it's so easy to remember the bad beats but got to keep track of those fortunate balances we get along the way as well and Sumo, one more note rehashing last Thursday's game while we're staying on the hoppier side of things to start the show on your Monday article at thehammer.bet, recapping the week two action, you know you mentioned Joe Lombardi once again costing the Chargers on early downs. It seemed like they could have taken control of that game, but perhaps he had other ideas. Um, I'm thinking about maybe putting another Chargers-related beer bet on the line to join you with some beer in hand for next week's recording. You called out his EPA per play on first down. It was just terrible with a quarterback like Justin Herbert in command. What would you say is on average about a, a top 10 ish EPA per play for an NFL offense on first down? Uh, off the top of my head, probably in the 0.15 ish range, I would say. All right. So let's say if the Chargers can exceed that, if they are 0.15 or better EPA per play on first downs, then next week I'll join you with a beer and I will gladly get to it early in my day out here if it means that Joe Lombardi might be turning a corner in some way with that Chargers offense. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) All right. Well, we will get to the week three slate in just a moment here. want to remind everybody that this show, this episode is sponsored by the Power Ranks Sports Betting Newsletter. Valuable, concise, and entertaining. These are Dr. Ed Fang's three goals with each correspondence, which mostly covers the NFL and college football. Ed is a friend, a fellow fan of craft beer, as well as the old-fashioned, and he's also a data scientist whose work has informed my betting. So go ahead and check out the newsletter at thepowerrank.com and join me as a subscriber. Now, guys, let's get to the Week 3 card, starting with the opener in Week 3, 
Thursday night football, the Steelers at the Browns. We've seen some movement on both the side and the total in this one. Starting with the side, Browns currently laying four and a half. This one opened as low as three and a half. We saw it go as high as five. Now a little bit of buyback on the Steelers. Suma, overall, we have seen this spread increase for the Browns. Do you think the market might be giving them a bit of a pass after a pretty epic fourth quarter meltdown against the Jets? Yeah, so th- that that meltdown is pretty interesting because how do you judge it going forward? You can either say, okay, um, Nick Chubb could have gone to the ground and the Browns win that game. Or you, you, you could say, um, yeah, that might be stupid. Maybe I'm going to downgrade the, the coaching staff a little bit because this might also be a coaching issue. And then um, during the two minutes, their, deep, their defense also totally collapsed. Do I put this into my data set or whatever? So there are some, uh, I would say, interesting mind games with how do you or how we should handle those uh, last two minutes of the game. Um, in my opinion, in general, I would not downgrade the Browns overall because the next time Nick Chubb just goes to the ground and they win that game by one possession and everyone is happy and goes home happily. So I would not downgrade that pretty much. I think one issue with this game is that um, Jadavion Clowney will be out for this week. Um, I think the initial money on the Browns pretty much dictating, and we will talk about it when it comes to the total, or we can talk about it right now, because the, the total has been dropping a lot because we have like 20 miles per hour of winds in the forecast with 30 miles of gusts. And then we are talking about a potential game that gets dictated on the ground. And there, the, the Browns are significantly better than the Steelers. Um, the Browns are really one of the most versatile running games in the league in terms of not including your your uh, quarterback into the one game. Um, but just for a one game where, where they only use the, the running back, they have a very, very, very interesting game. They might get right tackle Jack Kunkin back, which should be a huge boost for that offense. The Steelers' defense is still missing TJ Watt. Um, Steelers' defense is not great against the run, and especially without TJ Watt um, up front. So I think there's the logic behind that initial line move that there's a windy game. The Browns will be able to control that game on the clock. Uh, The Steelers' offense has not done anything, and if they cannot um, throw the ball through through the air because of the wind, they are dealing with a very bad offensive line that will somehow try to establish some sort of a running game. And I think that's what um, the early money on Cleveland saw. Uh, the, the buyback, um, probably just someone saying, hey, at, at um, plus five, the Steelers become very interesting on, on Thursday night, short total, lots of potential, pot- potentially lots of variance in that game. So we might back that. Uh, we might play that back at, at the five. As you talk about the short total, a game that might be played out on the ground, even more so than usual when we're looking at Brown Steelers, makes me think to start the season, it feels like we've had a lot of pretty quick primetime games. You know, some of these games have barely hit the three-hour mark and they've been over. And that trend's probably not going to last too much longer, but it may well hold true once again on Thursday night in this Steelers-Browns matchup. As we flip the page to Sunday, one game that'll probably take a good bit longer, expecting a lot of fireworks with Miami Buffalo, and the total in this game had skyrocketed from an opener of 51.5. It's settling out now in the 52.5, 53 range, but we had seen it get as high as 54. 
So a bit of two-way action on the total thus far. Sumo, what do you make of the market movement in that one? Yeah, I mean, the, the Dolphins are looking like a clear over team, so to speak. Like their defense is not really good and their offense is just clicking and Mike McDaniel is really bringing everything he can. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, their speed just kills. Like I'm probably at the point where I think if you are not in a great position as a defensive back against that setup, I just don't know how much you are really able to do. Like you, you simply cannot um, go with that speed of both of those guys. There are no secondaries in the league that can match that speed. And if you are doing some sort of mental error, Hill or Waddle, they will just punish you. So I think the Miami Dolphins are really setting in the eyes of betters as an over team. And on the other side, the Bills, they have been very good defensively early in the season, but they uh, might potentially be without Mika Hyde, uh, without Dan Jackson. They are already without Trey White. So there could be some potential cluster injury in the Bills secondary. And it's probably still some uncertainty how you handle a strong front against that kind of scheme that the Dolphins are playing because as soon as Tua can get the ball out quickly and let Hill and Waddle run uh, some yards after the catch, the pass rush of the Bills might not matter that much in this specific matchup. So I think that that's uh, the angle that um, early, also early overbetters have been seen. Um, we have had very low um, totals early in the year, uh, game totals. We are talking about a median um, total score of 40.5, which is like unheard of. Uh, last last season, we, we were at 45, I think. So um, maybe this is a game that uh, gets some overs or some high totals back on track. Yeah, something that could certainly skew that median uh, a little bit if we can get this game as well as a few others to break out of the yeah, that low 40s range sounds almost like we're talking preseason versus, you know, week three and teams yeah, should start yeah. to be approaching midseason form on the offensive side. But as we shift gears to the NFC, we can talk about a point spread here between Philadelphia and Washington. Eagles currently laying six and a half or maybe a cheap seven. This one opened at five after the Monday night game. So we have seen more market love for the Eagles after we seem to see it all summer long. They've done nothing to prove their backers wrong through the season's first two weeks. And Washington also took on a lot of money to become the favorite against Detroit last week by the time that line closed. So Sumo, with this line move up from Eagles minus five to six and a half or seven, how much of that do you think is pro Philadelphia versus what amount might be anti-Washington? I think it's more of pro uh, Philadelphia because, I mean, this team is so, so good right now. They, they are just simply stacked on both sides of the ball. They played man coverage on third down against the Vikings, against Justin Jefferson, aggressive man coverage. They, they are suddenly bringing very well-timed blitzes. Their offensive line can just push um, opposing front sevens around. Their wide receivers are getting open. Jalen Hurts is playing a very good season so far. I think, I think Hurts is... Uh, ranked as the number one quarterback in terms of PFF passing grade right now on the young season. So there's just nothing right now that you could really, really hate about this team. And I think also from a market implied power rating standpoint, the Eagles have, I think, approached the second place behind the Bills, which is pretty in interesting. And if you just think about a power rating perspective, the Eagles, if you have them in, in your top three, 
let's say you have them somewhere in the uh, minus five, uh, plus five, plus five and a half range or whatever. And the Washington uh, commanders are maybe a average to below average team. Um, it might sound pretty, pretty reasonable why some folks bet this game up from minus five to, to, to minus seven. But then we also saw some buyback, which is also very reasonable. I mean, home dog Washington, um, if someone has weighted them like five or six points um, apart, you will automatically bet the uh, commanders at seven, I would say. Yeah, seems like we might settle out right around Eagles laying six and a half for this one. And transitioning to the late window on Sunday, the marquee game in that window, the Packers at the Bucks. We've seen some movement on both the side and the total. Starting with the side, Packers currently down to plus one from an opener of Packers plus three. And Suma, how much of that would you attribute to the supporting casts of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady pretty much trending in opposite directions at this stage? Yeah, it's it's really crazy. I mean, the Bucks offense, they had a very healthy Julio Jones, like terrifying the Cowboys secondary in week one. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden they will be without Mike Evans, without Chris Godwin. We don't know whether Jones is going to play this week because he was a game time decision last week and couldn't go. So we, we might see him like getting a few limited practices. Donovan Smith was not uh, Donovan Smith, their left tackle was not at practice today. Backup left tackle Josh Wells uh, went to IR today. So there are some really, really crazy injury concerns um, for the Bucks. Uh, on the defensive side, they lost Akeem Hicks, one of the better run defenders in the league, even though he's already, I think, 32 years old. Um, and I think you can make a pretty good case that the Packers' offense, even though they are limited themselves, after losing Devontae Adams. They have a pretty diverse one game that might get something going on the ground after the Saints were able to run on the on the um, Bucks last week. So I can totally understand why people would grab the three um, with the Packers early. I think in hindsight now, grabbing a uh, field goal spread is an absolute no-brainer because you have so much positive variance going for you on the injury side of things. And yeah, I mean... If Julio Jones might be another DNP or even limited, I mean, I would not be surprised if that might touch a picken at some point. You touched on Mike Evans earlier, and I've got to ask, with his suspension this week, how do you evaluate that in a vacuum versus within the confines of the Bucks' current state with a cluster injury situation at wide receiver? Got to think that's affecting both the spread and the total for this one. Yes, absolutely. So um, I think if you only lose Mike Evans and you have guys like Chris Godwin, Julio Jones and a very healthy um, offensive line, that would not be that much of a deal. But now you are suddenly in a situation where you have to um, catch up Cole Beasley off the street and might plug him in into a starting role on Sunday behind an offensive line that is down three starters, I, I think. So those are some confounding factors which would downgrade the Bucks, in my opinion, more than if they were just missing um, uh, Mike Evans. And we've seen this total settle in about 41.5 or 42. A big move down from 45.5 where it opened, got as low as 41. So starting to see some buyback. Do you see with all the injuries you just mentioned, any reason for more buybackers, 41.5, 42, about where you think this nets outcome close? 
I would not be surprised if we saw a little bit more over money because in the end, we are still talking about a Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers offense. And I think if I told you in May that we are going to see a total in the low 40s for these two quarterbacks, you would have called me absolutely crazy. And now here we are. Um, I think if Julio Jones gets back, um, if, if the Bucks maybe get some positive news on, on the, on the um, offensive line, I would not be surprised if some folks grab a little bit more of that 41, 41 and a half, because it's a really, really low total. And um, depending on the game script, we might also find Tom Brady slinging the ball around a little bit. So I think in general, so and even if you have a model, let's say a player-based model, I think it's really hard to get a historic data on such a unique situation where you have so many skill position guys out and some models might not properly capture that. And I think some models might also then automatically lead betters to say, hey, we, we, are, we, have, we still have some edges on it towards the over at 41 or 41 and a half. Yeah, with the greatest quarterback of all time and another shoe and hall of famer, the reigning MVP, won't be surprised if that just nudges some people to play the over, even with all the concerns, you know, across especially the Bucks offense. But like you said, here we are, 41 and a half, 42, currently the total for Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Shifting out west, the Rams at the Cardinals. Another game with some movement on both the side and the total. From a point spread standpoint, Arizona now plus three and a half, down from an opener of five. Suma, do you think this might bake in a little bit of an overreaction to the Cardinals' crazy comeback on Sunday, coupled with perhaps some fluky second-half miscues for the Rams? Or do you think the opener just was off-base based on what the Rams have shown or perhaps more correctly, not really shown us through two home games to start their season? I think it's it's really, really interesting because the first two weeks of the season, there were some major groups absolutely fading the Cardinals. Um, in week one, they bet the Chiefs from minus three and a half up to minus six. And then last week, they bet the Raiders from minus three and a half up to um, minus six. And then we, we saw some buyback later in the week. And this week, there was no such move, which is pretty interesting. Um, the, I, I don't remember the exact closing number for the Raiders against the Cards last week. I think it was plus five and a half for the Raiders. So when you think about it, yes, the, the Cardinals were playing on the road, but now they are opening against the Rams and it gets bet down a little bit. I think that that's pretty interesting. So there is some opinion in the marketplace that uh, is saying the cards might not be as bad as advertised and the Rams might not be as good as, as advertised. I am I would not expect this to get towards the flat three. That would that, that would be really su surprising to me. Um, we are currently looking, I think you said it at a very soft three and a half and that might also be the low point for the Rams in my opinion. So Seeing a minus three, I would expect lots of people who faded the Cardinals um, early in the season might um, immediately scoop up that minus three on the Rams. Especially after the last time we saw these teams play in the wild card round last season, the Sharks were circling, waiting for the Rams to drop to minus three. They hammered it shortly before the game kicked off, and they were handsomely rewarded with a sweat-free winner. So if this one does touch three, pretty unlikely, but got to think that wouldn't last long at all. And what do you make of the total in this one? We're seeing it now in the range of 48, 49, and that's down from an opener in the ballpark of 50 and a half or 51. 
yeah, personally not a strong opinion on that on the total move right now. I think it's still the lingering injuries for the Cardinals because, as you said, they, they needed some really crazy miracles last week to even come to 24 in overtime. So it's still an offense that is handcuffed by injuries. Um, I, I don't, I don't have the feeling that um, Cliff Kingsbury is doing any good job whatsoever. Their whole play calling process looks really, really sloppy. Um, yeah, and that offense is basically just based on, or depending on Kyler Murray playing hero ball. And on the other side, the, the Rams also have had some issues offensively early in the season. I mean, last week they looked much better against the Falcons, but Matthew Stafford is still very, very inconsistent. Yeah, I think he had two or three picks last week, um, another two or so turnover, turnover-worthy plays. So um, I think that just both offenses got downgraded from preseason going into week three. Staying with an NFC West team, moving on to Sunday Night Football, let's talk Niners at Denver. Currently, the side in this one has the Niners favored, minus one, some one and a halfs out there, and they were plus two when this market opened, so the favorite has flipped in this game. Suma, I've got to ask you the obvious question. Everybody is talking about it, but I think you're about as qualified as anybody to give a proper answer from a betting perspective. What do you make of the change at quarterback for the 49ers from Trey Lance after that gruesome injury last week, now looking at Jimmy G moving forward for this 2022 campaign? Yeah, so when we do projections for quarterbacks, we always have like a median um, expectation. And then we have like variants built around this. And I think with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, it raises the floor significantly. We have a much higher median expectation for the uh, for the Niners often going forward. But with Trey Lance, we had all the crazy upside. Like if this guy is really special and this offense could look really special with a quarterback in the one game, I mean, the sky would have been the limit for the Chen offense. So we don't have that anymore. We, are, we, we know what we are getting with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's the same offense like last year. It's the same play caller. It's Jimmy G without an injury this time. So I think we have to upgrade the, the Niners in general. Um, but we also got to um, settle for a capped ceiling, so to speak. And if we're seeing less variance under center for San Francisco, we're seeing sky-high variance on the sidelines for Denver. How do you quantify yeah. Nathaniel Hackett's struggles out of the gates after not just the <laughs> Monday night or week one, but now two weeks into his head coaching career in Denver? To be completely honest, I don't think this is quantifiable because we just don't have any data on such a shit show, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it's not just... So usually we talk about coaches like the, the, the when we have a head coach that's also in the OC, like sometimes we have question, questionable play calling, like too much run, too many runs on early downs. Sometimes we have um, very weird in-game decisions like punting on fourth and short where you have to go for it and stuff like this. But with Hackett, like everything comes together. They have no clue what to do in the red zone. They have no clue how to get their play calls in up to the point where the Denver crowd was counting the, the play clock downwards from five to zero. Um, they, it just looks completely nuts. I mean, Hackett doesn't know when to kick the field goal. He doesn't know where to go for it. Um, they had all the bad luck um, at the goal line in Seattle um, in week one. Absolutely, they should have won that game. 
But in general, Hackett's game management is really, really uh, concerning. And it looks like he would just be very overran with the job right now. Man, I feel like you're generally very measured and logical at the way you break things down. So when you have strong words like that, I really take it to heart. <laughs> Jacob, I think Suma provided about five quotes worth clipping in that answer right there about Nathaniel Hackett. And I will just note that from a betting standpoint, no, this is not a pick show, but I've been giving a lot of consideration to teasing Denver now that the favorite has flipped in this one. When we're teasing underdogs, we do want to minimize variance. Nathaniel Hackett might be doing the opposite of that. So just yeah. something to keep in mind. If you do want to tease Denver, not saying it doesn't fit the long model or mathematically it doesn't work out, but maybe worth proceeding with caution, giving the wild card, calling the shots for the Broncos right now. Yeah, I just have Moving a question as well. The... Sorry, sorry, Matt. I oh. have a question for Suma as well regarding this matchup. So I am under the impression that the Niners should be more favored in this matchup as a result of it being Jimmy G at quarterback. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that one. Do you think that Jimmy G actually increases uh, the 49ers' likelihood of winning a matchup like this, or does it decrease it? Uh, I would say it increases their chances, absolutely. Uh, we also have some injuries that we have to monitor this week, like uh, George Kittle might be back, very important to that offense. And on the other side, Patrick Sertan and Jerry Judy, two very key players for the Denver Broncos. Um, they were ruled day-to-day -day on Monday, but there were also some reports on Sunday that it might have looked pretty ugly for them. So it, it's crazy that both guys got ruled out immediately. And then on, on Monday, they, they are coming out and saying, oh, they're just day-to-day. -day. So that sounds pretty weird to me. So we have to monitor their injury report today, whether those guys maybe got at least a limited practice in. I think if you get ruled out with a shoulder injury and you can't come back and you have like a DNP on Wednesday and Thursday, I think it would make it very tough for them to play. All right. And now we can prep to move to the Monday nighter. I will note that while Nathaniel Hackett is a high variance head coach at this stage, Jimmy G, uh, Jacob, I, I think to Suma's point, increases the Niners' likelihood of winning, perhaps relative to Trey Lance, but probably decreases the odds of the Niners winning in a blowout. So we've got a bit of a, a push and pull effect with Jimmy G, less variance, Nathaniel Hackett, more variance. So a bit of mental gymnastics for teaser betters this week with this one sitting right there in teaser territory with the Broncos. But as we look at the Monday Nighter, uh, this game, Sumo, right before we started recording, it slipped out of teaser territory for those six-point teaser players who like to cross through the three and the seven because the Cowboys are down to plus one after opening plus three at the Giants. And I think we can kind of see why, even though the Giants are 2-0, and I'm getting some similar vibes to the Panthers and Broncos 3-0 and starts last year. Through a couple weeks, the Giants only plus four in point differential Two coin flip wins. Week one, they needed a two-point conversion and a missed Titans field goal at the wire to make that happen. And then week two, minus 1.3 yards per play, but they got fortunate going plus two in turnovers, some red zone fortune with the Panthers only scoring one touchdown and four trips inside the 20. Now the Giants also dealing with defensive line cluster injury situation with Leonard Williams sprained MCL, so he's going to miss this one. Suma, all things considered, any surprises or you know updated takes now that this one is down to the Cowboys plus one on Monday night? Yeah, that was our friend Adam Chernoff. He released it like uh, one and a half hours ago at plus two, immediately pulled the whole market. 
Um, there are some uh, exciting news about Michael Gallup, who is expected to get uh, a full week of um, first team reps in. He might end up playing on Monday, which would be a very interesting comeback because I didn't think like um, he would um, come back so quickly after tearing his ACL, I think, late November or early December last last year. So he would absolutely be a boost for the offense. Jan Torba, their third one rookie wide receiver who also had a very um, let's say he, he had some raving preview, uh, reviews uh, during training camp. So I expected him to play a lot earlier. So now we are potentially looking at C.D. Lamb, Jalen Torbert, and Michael Gallup in the lineup. That might change the offense entirely. Um, the Giants, yeah, like you said, they won two coin flip games. And some betters might say, okay, this team is still not very good. The Cowboys might have a, a, a higher floor, a better foundation. To me personally, I will be completely honest, I will most likely not touch this game at all because I cannot get a good grasp on both of these teams. Um, the Giants' offensive line looked very solid early on, especially Andrew Thomas. I think he's the highest-graded left tackle by Profit Profocus, but he also played against Bud Dupree last week, uh, or in week one against Bud Dupree. And uh, last week against the Pentas um, second edge rusher. So this this week he's going to face Mika Parsons or the Marcus Lawrence. We'll see how that goes. But in general, I will just personally completely stay away from that one. You talked about this one being a tough game to grasp either team. And specifically with the Cowboys, I know Cooper Rush brought a lot of unknown into, I believe it was just his second career start last weekend. Yeah. And now he's 2-0, and having beaten the Vikings on Halloween last year. And now Cincinnati week two of this season. With all that unknown, how aggressive have you been or how have you thought about processing any upgrades to the Cowboys based on what we thought was quite the drop-off from Dak Prescott to Cooper Rush at quarterback? I think what we saw is that the Cowboys last week had a few great scripted drives with some really interesting play calling. But then in the second half, and I think they scored 17 points before halftime, when I'm not, not wrong here. And then they had like zero points in the second half. So at some point with these, um, let's say, new quarterbacks where defenses don't have a lot of tape, um, to go through we sometimes see like a great few opening drives and then they are going to struggle for the rest of the game and i think that's what we saw with cooper rush um rush is a backup quarterback he's playing behind a offensive line that's dealing with injuries and i think it probably would take kellen moore um a very big part in terms of play calling to get the most out of it um, until Dak prescott comes back whether it's enough for the Giants, I don't know. But what's really interesting about the Giants, and I wrote about it in my article on Monday, is like Wing Martin that is absolutely cooking, man. I mean, he's he's calling everything. He's, he's calling so um, many special blitzes up front, like rotating his single higher looks pre, uh, during the snap, when the quarterback is snapping the ball, um, marking the line of scrimmage with both linebackers in the A-gap and nobody knows who's coming. Pretty interesting. Um, and that will likely be my um, number one matchup to go through on Tuesday morning, my time with my morning coffee, just to see how the Cowboys find answers for the Wink Martin, their blitz packages. 
That's the one and only Fabian Summer. You can catch Suma elsewhere on the Hammer Network on Primetime, a Sunday night football pregame and halftime show for betters. Suma along with Rob Pizzola carrying that show. Also on Mondays, check out Suma's written work at thehammer.bet. You can look out every Monday morning for his article, breaking down top takeaways from the week that was across the NFL. Suma and Jacob, thanks for another fun show. And to the audience, thank you for tuning in. Jacob and I will see you right back here on Friday to talk NFL Week 3 props with Hitman. Props and